0: Calling all football fans, you know what time it is. Whether you're a Chiefs fan or even a Cowboys fan, you are welcome here. Come join in on the fun in person at Sagebrush Church this Super Bowl weekend. Join us at one of our eight physical locations and be sure to bring your friends and family and wear your gear to represent your favorite football team. Come early because this weekend only, you will have the chance to win a t-shirt or a football. So on February 11th and 12th, get down to your favorite Sagebrush location, grab a donut and a cup of coffee and join in on all the festivities. Don't know which Sagebrush campus is closest to you? Download the Sagebrush app to find out which of our eight physical locations would work best for you. There, you'll be able to find locations, follow along with the message, stay up to date with all Sagebrush events, and so much more. We hope to see you at Sagebrush Church this Super Bowl weekend.
1: Hey, whether your team is still in it or not... We're going to be having Wear Your Gear weekend on Super Bowl weekend, so represent your team. So Dallas Cowboy football fans, I expect you to wear your gear. You should be very proud of the season that you had. I always say every year when I pick on my Dallas Cowboy football fans, I say, I can't pick on you unless your team was good. I got to pick on you all season because your team was good. So be proud and pray for my team. That's all I ask for right there. If you would take care of that, that would mean the world uh, to me. So wear your gear. Come a few minutes early to the the service. We're going to play a couple of quick uh, football games. We're going to throw out some footballs, throw out some t-shirts. It's going to be a lot of fun. So before you have your Super Bowl party, bring your friends to meet Jesus, all right? So bring them to service. I think that would be incredible. Let's pray and we'll get into the message today. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would understand your truth and what you're trying to convey to us through this passage of scripture we're going to study today. Uh, Lord, I pray that... Uh, we would be faithful to the things that you've called us to do and the people that you've called us to be. And Lord, I know that if we're faithful to you, you promise that you'll always be faithful to us. So give us, give us those aha moments when we find ourselves in the midst of desperate situations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start off by asking you a question. If you could summarize your life in just six words or less what six words would you use? There was an online magazine that asked their readers to chime in to what their six-word stories would be, and the overwhelming response was so great that the website almost crashed as a result. Now, this was all brought on by a challenge that was given to Ernest Hemingway years earlier. They said to Ernest, there's no way that you could write a complete story in just six words. Well, he took up the challenge, and these were the sad six words he came up with. For sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. A powerful story can be just six words. Well, they got so many responses that the website put a book out. It's called Not Quite What I Was Planning, and it's filled with six-word stories. Let me share just a few of them with you. First one. One tooth one cavity life's cruel now that's funny right there i don't know if that was a newborn that wrote that or if that was an 80 year old i'm not sure which one that was how about this one cursed with cancer blessed with friends a 9 year old boy with thyroid cancer wrote that found true love married someone else <laughs> <laughs> Some of you are like... (laughs) How about this one? Seventy years, few tears, hairy ears. This is my favorite one. I can relate to this one. Sounded much better in my head. That's a good one, isn't it? That's a good one right there. Or how about this one? Thought I would have had more impact. Yeah, John Ortberg took up the challenge in one of his books, but he took up the challenge a little bit differently. He thought to himself, if if, if the biblical characters, the heroes of our faith, if we summarize their life in just six words, what would their six words be? For Adam, he wrote, eyes opened but can't find home. How about for Noah? Hated the rain, loved the rainbow. For Moses, burning bush, stone tablets... Charlton Heston. For Jonah, no. Storm, overboard, whale, regurgitated, yes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King was hot, furnace was not. I like that one a lot. Prodigal son, bad, sad, dad glad, brother mad. That's pretty good right there. And the last one, Mary, manger, Pain, joy, cross, pain, joy. What would Elisha's six words be? I think they would be this. I want a double portion of faith. We've been studying this... uh, life story of Elisha for the past couple of weeks, and we found out that Elisha was just an ordinary guy that God used in extraordinary ways. He was just out plowing his fields one day, He was just a farmer. Elijah shows up on the scene, puts his cloak on Elisha, says, "You're going to be the next prophet of Israel." And Elisha takes on the challenge. He burns the plows. He kills the oxen. He says, I'm going to move forward in faith to what God has for me to do. And he's not going to look back. And he doesn't know what's ahead. He doesn't know the twists and the turns that's going to be around the corner for him. But he wants to be faithful to God. He wants to be used by God. And then a few years go by after Elijah has mentored Elisha. And Elijah says, it's time for me to go to heaven. And we found out last week that Elijah went up to the heavens in a whirlwind. And before he went up to the heavens in a whirlwind, Elisha said, can I have a double portion of your faith? Now, this was not some egotistical statement that he's making. He's not saying, hey, I want to be twice the prophet that you were. He's saying, I want to be twice as close to God as you are. That's what I want more than anything else. I want to be used by God twice as much as you were used by God. And here's what I love to tell you is that God honored his request. Out of all the people we read about in the Bible, Elisha did more miracles than anybody else except for Jesus. God used him in such a powerful way and today we're going to look at one of the stories one of the miracles that God did through this prophet Elisha now here's the situation it's found in 2nd Kings chapter 3 there are three kings that have joined themselves to fight against the king of Moab and they think that everything is going to go perfect and this battle and they find themselves in a desperate situation so I want you to imagine for a second that you find yourself today in a desperate situation. That shouldn't be too difficult for some of us, right? Because you came in here, you tuned in today, and you already have yourself in a desperate situation. Some of you, your families aren't everything that you hoped they would be. Your marriage is imploding. You're you're fighting all the time. You're yelling, you're arguing, you're cursing at each other. You're not doing any of the things that the Bible says that you're supposed to do to bring about intimacy in your relationship. You don't have Jesus as the centerpiece of your marriage, and everything is fine. And you're desperate today, desperate for help, desperate for an answer. Some of you have a child and your child is rebelling, and they roll their eyes at you, and they yell at you, and they curse you, and, and every single day when you're at your house, whenever the child comes in the room, it just ruins everything, right? And you don't know what to do. You've tried everything you know to do to try to reach them, and nothing seems to work. Some of you are, are in homes where your parents are treating you as less than, and they don't tell you that they love you. They don't tell you they're proud of you. In fact, your best efforts are never good enough for them. And you just find yourself in this desperate family, in this desperate home, and you don't know what to do. For some of us, the desperation's at your job or it's going back to school. You find yourself in such a toxic environment and you're just sick of it, but you don't know a way out of it. Some of us are desperate today because you're single... And you want to be married. And here we start a brand new year. And you look around and you say, there's no prospects. And you're thinking about, in the midst of your desperation, about lowering your standards just a little bit. Some of us today find yourself in a desperate situation because your health isn't good. And here's the thing. It's, it's, like it's going to be bad tomorrow more than likely. I mean, you've prayed and you've prayed, you've gone from one doctor to another, but no one seems to want to help you, and and, and all you get is the silence of God. God's not intervening, you're not seeing the miracle, and you feel desperate as a result. Some of you came in here today, some of you tuned in today, And, and you feel desperation because you've just recently buried a loved one. And you've never done that before. You've never gone through this grieving process before. And it's just absolutely wrecking you. And you're devastated. And you find yourself at this dead end. Friends, the question I have for you is, what do we do when we find ourselves in a dead-end situation? What do we do when we find ourselves in a desperate, desperate place? Well, that's what we're going to find today. So Elisha is going to have an encounter with some desperate kings. I want you to see what they do. So these three kings align themselves to fight against the king of Moab. They think it's going to be a walk in the park. It's not. There's a famine, there's no water, there, there are animals, there are men, are dying of dehydration. And so in a moment of desperation, they call out to God. Let's look at what happens. We'll first see what the king of Israel has to say. He says, what? Exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? Now what's the king of Israel doing here? He's blaming God. Now, think about that. That's pretty much the typical response, isn't it? When you find yourself in a desperate moment, you blame God. You say, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't God do something? I talked to God about it, and God didn't do anything for me. That's what the king of Israel is doing. So the king of Israel is blaming God. Now, the king of Judah, a man named Jehoshaphat, he wants to reach out to God. Look at what happens next. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord's with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, one of the things we're gonna find out about these three kings is they could care less about God. They don't want anything to do with God. The only reason they want to find out what's going on is because they find themselves in this desperate situation. Now, again, how many times have you met somebody who's like this? they never cared about God before. They didn't want anything to do with God. And then they tried everything they could when all the world came crumbling down around them, and now they call out to God. So the three kings come to Elisha, and there's a little bit of trash talk that happens between the two of them. Elisha sees them coming, and he says this. What do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Elisha's saying, why are you calling out on God? You never cared one thing about what God thought before. Why are you calling on God now? Just because you find yourself in a mess. Look at what the king of Israel response was. He doubles down. He says, no. The king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. Again, he's still blaming God, isn't he? And then Elisha throws a zinger back at him. Elisha says, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. Whom I serve. If I didn't have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. Now, here's the question. Why has God placed these three kings in this desperate situation? Well, when I was studying this, I came across four things that that many times God uses our desperate situations for. Write this down if you're taking notes. The first one is this. Sometimes God brings us into these kinds of situations for no other reason than to cause us to draw closer to God. I read a magazine article. They did a survey. among Christian readers. And they did a survey. And they said, what was it that drew you closer to God? You know what they said? 87% of the people responded and said it was a tragedy. It was suffering. It was pain. It was realizing my life was out of control and there was nothing I could do to get it back in control. And that was the day that I met God. Isn't that something? You know what I found to be true about life? Is that sickness helps us appreciate health. Isn't that true? And that failure helps us appreciate success. And that debt helps us appreciate wealth. And that the worst days of your life help you to appreciate the best days of your life? I like what Calvin Miller writes. He says, we discover that the worst and best days of our life could be the same one. So let me ask you a question. What was it that drew you closer to God? Because I bet most of us don't have a story that goes like this. Well, my life was just perfect. I mean, everything was just clicking on every cylinder. And I thought, you know what? I ought to ask Jesus in my life. He's like the cherry on the ice cream sundae. I don't think many of us have that kind of story. I think for most of us, we'd say, you know what? This went out of control. This happened to me. This circumstance arose. And I realized that I wasn't in control anymore. And so I called out to God. And it was painful and it was awful. But God used that moment in my life to sober me up. You know what the truth is about the human condition is that we're so arrogant and we're so stubborn and we're so pig-headed that many times God has to break us and humble us before we finally realize our great need for him. And then you look back on that painful circumstance and you say, thank you, God, for bringing it. I wouldn't be where I'm at today with the relationship I have with you if you hadn't used that to cause me to draw closer to you. Let me give you another one. Sometimes we find ourselves in a desperate situation because of our own doing. We chose the wrong way. We don't have anybody else to blame. We're in the situation, we're in the mess we're in because we've chosen it. We zigged when we should have zagged. We went to the left when we should have gone right. We knew what God wanted us to do, and we did the direct opposite. And now we've been found in our sin. And now there's consequences. And we don't want to face those. So what do we do? We call out to God. We say, God, can you take the consequences away? I repent of my sin. Sometimes he does. But sometimes God says, no, we're going to go down this road together. We're going to face the consequences together. And it's going to mold you and it's going to shape you. This is God's discipline in your life. And this is going to cause you to draw closer to me. And you look back on your life and you say, you know what? I was in a really bad shape. And I really was making bad choices with my life. And God used that miserable mess that I had made and brought something good out of it. Sometimes God brings us to desperation because of our own doing. Let me give you a third one. Sometimes we find ourselves in desperate situations so we can be an example to someone else who finds themselves in a similar situation. For example, if you're a cancer survivor, I I think you should be in a cancer ward. I think you should be bringing hope. The hope that you found was you walked down that path and those people need to hear from you, that God was with you, that God will never leave you or forsake you, that he gave you a strength that you didn't even know you had, that God touched your body and he healed you and that everything's going to be okay. I think if I've got cancer, I want to talk to somebody who's had it before, who's walked that road before and how God used their pain for something great, for their good and for his glory. Some of us are here today. Some of us are watching from home. And and you've recently buried a loved one. And the pain of that is so real and so raw. Only in America do we think we need to get over the death of a loved one in three days. It's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? We have a program. We have a ministry here called Grief Share where people can come together and share their grief and work through the process of, of, of grieving for the loss of a loved one. Well, listen, if you've lost somebody in the past and you've learned to smile again... I don't think God wants to waste your pain. I think he wants you to get into someone else's life who finds themselves on the same path as you were once on so you can give them hope. Friends, that's what our living free ministry is all about. On all of our different campuses, or for most of our different campuses, we have all these different small groups that meet. And they're all about leaders who used to go through all kinds of pain, all kinds of trials, all kinds of hardship. And they got out on the other side because of the the love of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God that lives within them. And now they want to use that pain to help somebody else along the way. Let, Let me show you what I mean. Take a look at this. Did you know that Sagebrush offers care and recovery groups? Living Free meets weekly and focuses on groups with a variety of topics. Addiction, loss, broken marriages, finances, boundaries, and much more. Each week, there is a service with live worship and teaching as well as classroom programming available for children.
0: To see the guys in my men's anger class meet Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in there and gain victories over a myriad of problems that they're facing hearing their testimony seeing from where they were and where they're at now and you can see the direction that they're heading i think that is just the probably the highlight of it all it's given me more love and joy and the opportunity to share that love and joy with others
1: living free is an amazing ministry not many churches
0: have what we have to offer as far as Living Free, the classes, the people that are here, the success stories, the friends that you make. Just having that moment of realization that we're going through similar stuff and we're not alone and it's going to be okay. Since I loved coming to the church so much, I wanted to volunteer and you meet wonderful people, people that'll just wanna hug,
1: wanna cry on your shoulder, and you understand what they're going through, and that is just such an amazing feeling.
0: Being a leader is the greatest part of my life, to see guys finding victory in their individual battles. My favorite part of it is that they show up on purpose in order to improve, to change their lives. Living free is a safe space
1: where you can face life's toughest challenges in community. If you want to join a group, sign up through the Sagebrush app, scroll down and tap join a small group, then tap care and recovery groups. Type in your location and time preferences at the top or simply scroll through the available groups and choose what works best for you. I'm proud to say that we have a living free because a lot of people once found themselves on the road and they got off that road because Jesus helped them and now they want to use that to help somebody else along the way. Listen, God never ever waste pain. So the things that you went through, how can you reach out? How can you help somebody else? Sometimes God brings desperate situations so that we can be a light in dark places. Let me give you another one. Sometimes our desperate situation makes no sense at all. This isn't the one that you wanted to hear, is it? Because we want an answer, we want a reason for the pain that we go through. You know, it doesn't make any sense when we call out to God and we all get the strange silence back. He doesn't tell us, he doesn't intervene, he doesn't do anything different in our situation. And at that time, what do we have to do? We have to hold on to God with everything we've got. I, I kind of grew up with that cloud over my head as a as a young kid. You see, a lot of you don't know this, but I had an older brother, his name was Teddy. And when Teddy was two years old, he started stumbling around in the front room. Couldn't seem to keep his feet like he was drunk. And come to find out when they, my mom and dad took him to the hospital and took him to the doctor, they found out that he had a, a brain tumor, cancerous brain tumor. Well, this is in the 1960s. We had the medical advances that we have today. And so he went through all the different treatments that were available at the time. And, of course, that made him unbelievably sick. And the little guy was sick for the next three years. And my mom and dad did everything they could to try to figure out how they could help him. And then uh, on March 12th, he passed away on the operating table. They tried to remove the brain tumor and he died as a result. And to this day, there's a hole in my mom's heart over the loss of her child. And I remember growing up as a kid and learning about who Teddy was and about what had happened. And I had found a newspaper article. Uh, Somebody on the Kansas City Times had written an article about my parents and how my dad would come to the hospital absolutely filthy to be with his son and to be with his wife and to find out what the news was going to be. And the months that went by as a result of all that. And that's how I knew the story. And then my mom and dad would tell me a little bit about it, but it was so painful for them. And I remember many times my mom or my dad would say, we just don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. We've called out to God for an answer. We've asked him why a thousand times, and we don't know. And, friends, that's where some of you are at today, and that what's going on in your life, it doesn't make any sense. And you've called out to God, and you've asked him why, and he's not giving you an answer Now, sometimes, friends, you're not going to get an answer on this side of eternity. You need to understand that. And our job is to be faithful to him no matter what, to keep holding on to him as he holds on to us when things don't make any sense. That's what faith is all about. And sometimes, sometimes you get a perspective years later and you look back at that awful situation and you say, well, now I see how God used it. You still don't like it. You still might not even agree with what went down, but you see the good that God brought out of it as a result. Let me explain about my brother's death. Uh, my parents didn't go to church. They didn't really have a relationship with Jesus. And because of my brother's sickness, a couple up the street who were a Christian couple began inviting my mom and my dad to go to church. Well, at first they said no, and then they started going And then over time, after my brother died, both of them got serious about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a result of them getting serious about their relationship with Jesus Christ, I ended up going to church as a little boy. Every single time the doors were open, my mom and dad were there, and they drugged me in there with them as well. And so as a result, I heard the message of Jesus Christ. And at the age of 15, I gave my life over to Jesus Christ. And then months later, I felt like God was calling me into the ministry. Now, friends, that was 40-some-odd years ago, and I got to be a part of this church and a part of this work, and I'd like to think that somewhere along the way that maybe I had a little bit something to do with helping somebody else along the way. And I go back to the dominoes, and it all goes back to my brother's sickness. If he hadn't gotten sick, I don't know that my mom and dad would have ever sought the Lord out. I don't know that they would ever have trusted in Jesus Christ. And I don't know that I would have ever gone to church. I think the whole trajectory of my life was changed as a result of my brother's death, and my mom holds on to that to this day. Now you, some of your skeptics you say, "Well couldn't God have done it a different way?" And the answer is, I don't know. I'm not God. I know that his ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts are greater than my, my, my thoughts, but I do know this, that God used it. And sometimes you can go back in your life and you can say, well, this was some of the good that came out of such an awful tragedy. Well, here we got three kings, and they're in a desperate situation. They don't have any water. They're, they're gonna dehydrate, and they, and they go to Elisha and say, you gotta help a brother out here. And Elisha's like, why are you calling on God? You never called him, cared about God before. So then Elisha says this to them as to the answer to their desperation. He says, I want you to make this valley full of ditches. Now, this doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Your men are already dying of dehydration, so you want them with their last bit of strength and energy to start digging ditches? And there's no clouds in the sky. There's no water around. Why in the world would you dig a ditch? Doesn't make any sense. Elisha says this, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. What's he saying to these three kings? I want you to get this. He's saying, you show me your faith by digging those ditches. Then God will show you his faithfulness. This is what's going on. You make the first move. You dig the ditch. Then God will provide the water. What does that mean for us today? Well, you find yourself in a desperate situation. You do what you're supposed to be doing, and God will be faithful to you. You do your part. You make the first move, and then God will be faithful to you. This is the way God does it over and over and over again in Scripture. Do you remember Joshua He takes over after Moses. He's leading the children of Israel into the promised land, but there's a problem. The Jordan River is at flood stage. And I don't know if you've ever been near a river that's at flood stage, but it's running across. If you ever saw the mesa filled with water, you understand what I'm talking about right now? And so what does God say to Joshua? He says, you want to get to the other side? Here's what you do. You get the priest. They lead the charge. They carry the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. And when you step into the water, I'll stop the water up there. So, what's the process? You got to step in first, and then God will stop the water up there. You make the first move. You do what I've asked you to do, and then I will bring the miracle as a result of your faithfulness. Now, can you imagine being the first priest in line when you hear this? If I was the first priest in line, I'd say, I think I was first yesterday. Somebody else want to be first today, I'll tell you why. Somebody's got to get their feet wet somebody's got to get in the water. Somebody's got to trust God enough that he'll provide the miracle. You put your faith in him, God will show his faithfulness. This is the pattern over and over again. Remember when Jesus one night is going out on walking on the water and he comes upon the disciples who are rowing the boat, remember that? And the disciples freak out and they don't know it's Jesus because he's a long way off and they say, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, oh, not a ghost, it's me. Peter says, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come walk on the water with you. And Jesus says, come on. Water's fine. Come on. What's Peter got to do? The storm's intense. The waves are crashing. Lightning and thunder. He has to step out of the boat. He has to trust God that Jesus won't let him down. He has to take the first step. Do you remember the story of the ten lepers? Ten lepers come to Jesus. They're on the outskirts of town. Jesus is getting ready to enter into town. They said, would you have mercy on us? Would you heal us of our leprosy? Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. You're healed. Here was the problem. They weren't. They were still covered with leprosy when Jesus said they were healed. But Jesus said, you go show yourself to the priest. Would you do it? You're not allowed in that town. You have leprosy. You're supposed to live in the leper colony. This is before COVID and social distancing. These people invented that. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you can't go in that town. You go in that town with leprosy, they will stone you to death. They looked at each other and said, "We got to take Jesus at His word, or we go back to the leper calling and die." And so what they do, they headed into town. And as they headed into town, the leprosy was removed. They were, they were healed. Do you remember the man who was blind? He's on begging on the side of the street, and Jesus has mercy upon him. I wonder how many times that guy's been picked on. I wonder how many times he's been made fun of. And all of a sudden, Jesus is sitting next to him, but didn't know it's Jesus. And he hears this sound. Because Jesus hawks a loogie and spits it in his hand. And then he grabs some mud, and he begins to make something. And the next thing you know, you're a blind person, and you're feeling some cool sensation on your eyes. And you're thinking, is somebody making fun of me right now? Because you just heard somebody spit. You understand what I'm saying? Did someone just put spit in my eyes? And Jesus said, you go wash in the pool. And you won't be blind anymore. And most of us wouldn't do it. Most of us say, you're disgusting. I can't believe you just spit in my eyes. That's ridiculous. You know, I'm a blind guy. But this man humbled himself. He said, Jesus, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And he went and he washed in the pool of Siloam. And he was healed as a result. So so what does that mean to you and me? Well, it means this. You you dig the ditch. You do what God has called you to do. And he will bring the water. So what desperate situation do you find yourself in? And are you doing the things that you're supposed to be doing? Your, Your marriage isn't everything you hoped that it would be. Okay, are you praying together? You you making church a priority? Are you spending time in God's word? You talk about spiritual things? You serving in the church? Are you doing, are you digging the ditch so that God can bring the two of you back together? Are you doing the things that you're supposed to be doing? You, You don't like your job or you're out of work. Okay, what can you do? You can listen to a podcast. You can put together a resume. You can get online and find out how to put a compelling resume together, right? You can get online. You can learn how to interview appropriately when they ask you a question. Start looking at questions that are asked a lot and come up with really good answers for when that you do your part. Then God will do his. You're not married. You want to be married. All right. How about this? Take a shower. Okay. Take a shower. That sounds good, doesn't it? Take a shower. Brush your teeth, get your hair, get a nice haircut, put on some cologne, put on some perfume, get out of the house. How about you get out of the house? Because I don't think the UPS man is going to be the guy you're going to marry. Do you understand what I'm saying? you got to get out there just a little bit. And where do you go? You go where other Christian people are at. Where's that? The church. You get yourself in a small group. You start meeting other people. You have your friends say, introduce me, introduce me. Make yourself active. You dig the ditch. God will provide. You want to lose weight? Step away from the ice cream sundae and nobody will get hurt, okay? Get rid of all the good food in your house. Go on some Weight Watcher plan or something like that. You do your part. And God will give you the perseverance to stick to it. You're upside down financially? Well, here's an idea. Put yourself on a budget. Stop spending more than you have. Start tithing, honoring God with the tithe. Give him the first fruits of your income. And the Bible says that God will throw out the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing upon you, you don't have room enough for it. But you got to tithe first. You dig the ditch. Then God provides the water. Well, look at what happens here. The Bible says water was flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Only God can send the water. But sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. So here's the question. What desperate situation do you find yourself in today? And are you doing the things that God has called you to do? Are you showing him your faith? Are you being faithful to the task that he's asked you to do? Or are you doing something less? Now listen, I, I understand that this is hard, that this is difficult. You, you want God to part the water first, right? You want it to be more like a Red Sea moment where Moses is there and they part the water and you walk across on dry land the miracle's already taken place. You don't really want to be at the Jordan River. I get that. But I'm just telling you the pattern that God uses more often than any other pattern is you got to take the first step and then he provides for you from that point forward. Now, I know a little bit about what I'm talking about because this is the way I've lived pretty much my entire life. I just keep moving forward, and I count on God to take me the rest of the way. I guess one of the biggest things that ever happened in my life that I was uncertain of was when we got to be the first people to start the church, this church, from Hoffmantown Church. Hoffmantown Church decided they wanted to do a mission church on the west side of town. They chose me to lead the charge. We had a banquet. And we had over 500 people show up. And everybody was excited about the potential of a church on the west side of town. They were so excited until they found out that I was going to be the pastor of that church. Of the 500 people that came to that banquet, only 36 showed up to a class that was going to be taught how to start a powerful and effective church. Now you imagine being in my shoes for just a second. You leave that banquet sky high. This is going to be the easiest church plant the world's ever seen. i got 500 people that know that I need help and they're going to help me. I mean, it was pretty obvious I needed the help, okay? but Then you show up to that first class. And only 36 show up. Talk about a desperate situation. Now, I've never told this story before. My wife came up to me after last service, and she said, I didn't know that. So I'll tell you what my wife just found out. I went home, and I went into the bathroom. Because when you need a moment to yourself, you go to the bathroom. And I wasn't... Going to the bathroom, I was just sitting on top of the lid so nobody would mess with me. So I don't want to gross you out, okay? I said, Lord, I can't do it. Nobody wants me. I'm out. You'll have to find somebody else to do this church. I'll just go back to my job. Go back to what I was doing. Give up on the dream. Now, I've never heard the voice of God. Not one time in my life have I heard the voice of God. But sometimes God has spoken to me so clearly, I cannot deny it. And I remember sitting on that toilet. And God's saying, it's going to be okay. I've got this. You dig the ditch. You be faithful to what I've called you to do. And I'll bring the water. I'll bring the people. He said to me, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't overcome it. It's going to be okay. And maybe that's what you needed to hear more than anything else today. Because you find yourself in this desperate situation, and you don't know what to do. I think God wants to put his arm around you and say, you be faithful, and I'll be faithful. It's going to be okay.